This is The Red Center, a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. On today's show, we'll be talking about the seventh episode of The Handmaid's Tale, which came out this week. So if you haven't seen that yet, consider this your spoiler warning. Um, so this episode is just when I was uh, feeling uh, overwhelmed by the darkness of the show. This, this episode, which is also very dark... Um, did something completely different and there's a lot to talk about. So the show, the episode starts out uh, exactly where the first episode started. It brings us right back to the beginning um, and opens on the uh, Volvo carrying Luke, June and their daughter, Hannah um, uh, along the road where they're trying to presumably escape. Um, And it switches back and forth in time a bit uh, to to sort of explain how they got there. Um, how they left sort of their apartment in the city and, and went to a, like another location before try, trying to try, try, finally trying to get to the border. The episode is basically encapsulated and shows us what happens to Luke in the in the end of the last episode. Um, someone from the Mex- Mexican delegate um, office uh, let you know June know that Luke was still alive, which was a not that shocking of a revelation. I think for the viewer, I think we always sort of thought he was alive. But um, in this episode, we find out what has become of him. And what has become of him is quite interesting. So they're driving along the road. Uh, They wreck, which we saw. Um, He sends June with her daughter to the border. He says, it's two miles up. I'm going to meet you there. Um, He, you know, they go off. You know, a truck with a bunch of guards comes. Uh, They shoot him. He tries to shoot, but they shoot him in the stomach. Um, and then an ambulance comes and, uh, he wakes up sort of in an ambulance. They're treating him. Uh, one of the guards says, you know, we need to keep him alive. They have questions for him. And then the, the, uh, the ambulance crashes. My question is why can no one drive? Literally nobody in this show Yeah, no one can drive. Luke just bought, you know, yeah, I feel like in a, in a pressure, such a high pressure situation, I would probably drive really well, but they're just blasting off the road all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Like they never explain like why the ambulance crashed. There's no one else on the road. Like it just seems to me, I have a lot of questions about the driving skills of these people. The driving skills are poor, but, um. You know, I mean, they're city people. Maybe they don't drive that much. I don't know. <laughs> but um, the ambulance crashes, and the two guys who are in the ambulance are either dead or, you know, extremely hurt, kind of out of it. Luke steals a jacket, um, takes some drugs in a bag, runs off. Uh, he doesn't really know where he's going and and sort of tries to figure that out, passes his, uh, his own car on the road, and... Um, he he wanders into a town. <laughs> he wanders into the town. He's sort of hiding out in a in a in a in a store or a, a house of some sort, and um, is sort of passed out there. And that's where they find him. They come in. They're looking for supplies. They pick him up. They they're like, oh yeah, we always pick up strays. Um, they're sort of a group headed toward the border. Um, he protests a couple of times that he doesn't want to go with them, though they, you know, they get him into the back of their bus and, uh, you know, he's sort of in and out of, you know, consciousness as they're introducing this, this, this group of characters, um, who's, you know, who are in the bus. There's like, there, there's a nun and there's, there's a a gay man and there's a girl who doesn't, um, talk at all. And they keep sort of forcing him along this journey where he's like barely protesting because he wants to go and find June, but he's injured. And so, you know, we also, like I said, we also find out how they came to be there. There's a sort of another escape situation that they make with their daughter from the city to a cabin. Um, And, you know, that's sort of, 
I think just leads into, you know, the ultimate, their ultimate sort of split. So Luke um, tries to stay, uh, convinces them to sort of, they're going to drop him off as they progress to the, there's a boat taking them, I think, across the border into Canada. Um, He wants to stay, and the sort of leader of the group, a woman, takes him into this little chapel and says, look what they do to the people who resist. And there's a chapel full of people hanging. Um, And he decides, you know, she basically says, look, they're going to kill you if you go back. Your best chance of finding your wife is going with us. They have people up there in Canada and that can help you find her. And uh, so he decides to go with them. There's a sort of shootout, and then it's like, Fade to black. Three years later, Luke is living um, in Canada in a place called, uh, is it Little America? Yeah, Little America in Toronto. Little America. And he's living, um, he's sort of still with the girl who doesn't talk. He gets called in um, to a very official looking office. There's this, we can talk about this, but there's this moment where it fades and it's like three years later. And then Luke is in like a regular Amer- you know, American-looking yeah. city, North American-looking city. He's sort of making jokes uh, with the girl who who seems to still not really talk. Yeah, I don't um, think she they're talks getting still. they're they're getting coffees. They're hanging out, and and he gets called in. It's unclear to me um, why he thought he was called in, but uh, so the way I read that was that like, or the way that I interpreted it is like, all these people have missing family members, loved ones, etc. And basically, like, right, he the passes staff there through the hall with like, all of yeah. Yeah, is like totally overwhelmed and basically eventually you get called. Like they finally call you. I think that's kind of how right. I saw it. So they call him in and there's a woman there and, and, and he said, she says, do you know June? Uh, I think her last name is Osborne. And he said, yes, she's my wife. And then she hands him an envelope and in it is the note that she wrote at the end of the last episode. Um, and the note says, I love you so much. Save Hannah. Is that what it says? Yep. And... Uh, that is the end. It sort of fades to, um, to Offred sitting in her, her room. So, so did, did I do a good job of explaining what happened? That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think- Proud of you. Proud of you. Thank you. So I think for me, uh, this is, I hate to say this is the best episode because it's just Luke, but in a way (laughs) it does, it, it, in a way it does for me what I think it's not just a release valve, but it's like it does this really artistic, beautiful, creative, disconcerting thing of going, it kind of is like the fucking village, right? Like they're living in this world and like it's, I don't know, you know, obviously things are, you know, bad for Luke and still bad for the people up there, but they're also like, he's alive. He's just walking around freely, you know, living his life, hoping to find his family and meanwhile, she's in this sort of like hell. And so I think what the episode offers besides this like incredible backstory um, and, and this sort of like, you know, oh, there was another way. Like if, if things had gone just slightly differently, they would be up there in Canada with their daughter. But like he made it and through like a series of just, you know, luck, right? The bus happened upon him, not the three of them. Um, he's up there living. And I think what it does for me is, uh, is opens up in a way that goes, okay, now I see why I'm watching a show that's going to have a second season. Um, and, and I, it's weird to me for a book that I love this much that, um, 
all of like the best things are the things that really diverge from the source material. But that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think that it does, this episode does a really good job of giving us a release valve for some of the like pedantic questions that we were asking before, not necessarily by answering them, but by kind of showing that, you know, I think it's easy when you're watching Gilead and you're watching The Handmaids and you're watching, you know, Serena Joy and all that to sort of feel like it's science fiction, to feel like it's totally unreal and it's really kind of hard to even imagine how that could be possible and how that world is. Or to feel like it's the whole world. Right. And then you get this sort of like backstory and you get the rest of this that kind of reminds you that like this is a small and relatively small but very powerful group and that like they have sort of walled themselves off in a very like North-South Korea kind of way where like things are happening inside Gilead that like people don't know about. There are all these people who are separated from their families. I thought that the scene when he's like walking through that hallway with all of those um, pictures of all the missing people and everyone kind of like waiting and trying to figure out you know, what happened to their loved ones was really effective. Um, you just had that, like, you know, all these, like, missing women and, like, all these photos of loved ones and this idea that, like, the, there has been a wall has dropped, you know, and it's like... Right. There's it no really one turned knows. the tables, yeah. right? It turns the tables back to, oh, these people are terrorists, right? Yeah. They, I mean, when he walked in there and, 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 and she asked if, you know, she said, do you know June Osborne? Is, is Osborne her last name? Yeah, hmm. Osborne, yeah. I don't know why I'm saying it otherwise. Um, <laughs> I remember like the, the feeling of like in my, like mentally it clicked. I was like, oh, right. Like she's not, it's like a weird thing which has happened to her that keeps her there. Like she's, what they've done to her is not normal. It's not legal. They've kidnapped her, right? And right. like there's this like moment where you click and you're like, oh, right. The fucking real world exists for these people. And like it does sort of tie, I hate to bring it back to the music at the end, but I really think there has been this like constant drumbeat reminder of like there's a there's a world out there still. And like you don't get that of the from the feeling of like when the when the when the Mexican delegates come to visit because it's like they're on their turf. So, you know, we don't really see that much of the world that Luke is living in currently. It's just this very small slice, but the very small few shots that we get are like reassuring emotionally. Um, uh, you know, there's like sort of like city town area where they're buying coffee. And then he goes into this very official looking office where, you know, people who represent the United States government um, to the like degree that it still exists uh, are, are there in an official capacity helping people to find their family members. And we have no idea if they can offer anything beyond this communication, which they say, oh, this was three weeks ago. Um, so clearly it's taking them a long time. The mail system has deteriorated rapidly. But what I think it did for me mostly um, mentally is it reminded me that you can't trust pretty much any of the information that you get from Fred or Serena Joy or anyone within Gilead about the outside world. Because the way that they describe it, the way June talks about, oh, we'll get sent to the colonies. But it's like, actually, there are good places you can still go. And presumably, um, you know, we don't know anything about what's going on environmentally. We don't know anything about what's going on with the fertility rates. In Canada, presumably, they are also possibly bad. But there's still a place to buy a coffee, and they still have – he seems like he has money. He seems like he has clothes. He is, you know, to the extent that his life is livable, he doesn't seem like 
a refugee on the run, right? He's found a place right. and it's not very far away. Right. Uh, it's just over the border. And so for me, it opens up not just a possibility that of where this can go, of of watching her try to escape or watching the world try to get back to the way that it was, but just a mental it really is like a mind bending sort of mental fuck that for me that I was like, Oh, right. This is going on in a world which is recognizable to me as very similar to the world that we live in. Um, and that makes it actually more scary. And in retrospect makes a lot of what I've been watching make a lot more sense. Yeah. And we also get like a, a little bit, there's like a piece of exposition that we get from the woman who doesn't talk or sort of like from learning about her where they yes. kind of tell oh, right. Luke that like basically via her, they tried to save her. So they say that like they were in some like place in North Carolina or South Carolina, these training centers. And basically what they're telling Luke is that like there are other red centers like the one that we saw June and Moira yes. in mm-hmm. where there were 50 women hidden inside. The kids were taken away and they got only this one woman out and she's the only one that they could I think they sort of insinuated that they killed everybody else or they like basically say they were not going to let those women go they were looking for fertile women gathering them up and so we kind of get this sense that like this is something that's happening beyond just that one red center like there are other centers there are other like high schools basically like or or centers elsewhere like there's one in South Carolina and so you kind of get the sense that there is a bigger scale here and that like this whole idea that you know Serena Joy posited in the last episode, which is fertility as a national resource, is a, the thing that is, like, driving this whole thing. And I, it's unclear to me whether Luke kind of, like, realizes that this is what's happened to June or it's not. It's unclear, yeah. Because he seems mm-hmm. to think that she's dead. When he gets that note, when he, right. she hands him that envelope, he basically, I think, thinks this is going to be like, okay, I'm going to find out that she's dead. Yes. And then mm-hmm. he says, oh, so she's alive. And he has this moment of, like, holy shit, like... She's not dead. Right. She it's is unclear alive. if he thinks it's better or worse, right? Because right. now when you don't know if someone's alive or dead, it's often easier to assume that they're not living anymore. And I think emotionally to find out she's living, he must, you know, you can start to think of the mental gymnastics he's going through of like, what is her life like now? And I think, I think also that little exposition that we get, um, Again, it's very much like the moment where he walks into the office. It's a, it's this like disconcerting reminder that the way she describes it, she's describing what we've been watching for six episodes. And she's like, yeah, it's like this really fucked up thing. Like they have these people in like little schools and they're, you know, using them for reproduction. And, and, and I realized then <clears throat> as she was saying it, and they were all sort of horrified by what they were talking about. You know, this is the first in that world outside perspective that we've gotten of what is actually going on. Up until now, we've been siloed through the, you know, the world of Gilead. And that has been the, you know, it's normalized for us. And I think that what this episode did really well is is remind us that not only is it not normal for us, the viewer, it's not normal within its own world. Right, right. I mean, this is like, this episode is like, I was joking earlier, like a gritty reboot of The Handmaid's Tale, um, where like, it's basically Children of Men in this episode, which is essentially the same plot line. Or The Walking Dead. Or The Walking Dead. 
Right. But like Children of Men, it's like literally like fertility has declined and the world falls into chaos and people are trying to get to right. the, the UK. Right. Like, so this is like basically the same thing. And that's part of why, to me personally, like The Handmaid's Tale book was more interesting because it focused on the women's side, where often when you get these like dystopian sci fi versions of fertility crises, you actually get mostly like men or like on the run kind of stuff. You don't actually get the the perspective of the women who are like forced into this kind of like slavery situation or sort of like fertility handmade situation. And so to me, like, you know, in some ways this was really cathartic and useful, but at some time it's sort of like a lot more like all of the other fiction about this thing. So like for me, like, you know, I thought this was a good episode and I I liked that, like, we're getting this reminder that uh, all the things you just said, this reminder that there is this outside world that, you know, to kind of remind us that Gilead is so truly fucked up, like in this way that, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you have to kind of remind yourself almost because, you know, like the women there, they kind of, some of them at least start to feel like, okay, well, this is just the way it is. And it's going to, you know, this is how it, this seems fine, you know, whatever. Um, that like, no, this is not okay. This is not fine. This is not normal. There are other places. The world isn't like a totally post-apocalyptic world, right? It isn't like there have been, you it's know, there's not, a nuclear no. wasteland out there, right? That there are these like people who have tea or coffee or whatever. Um, and so I think that's useful, but at the same time, to me, it, like, falls back into, like, kind of more, much more standard sci-fi tropes. So, like, it's kind of a double-edged sword in my mind. Like, I liked it, but I was also kind of like, oh, yeah, I've, see- I've seen this. I've seen this before, you know? Right. Right. It's, it's recognizable, but I think that is what makes it, uh, you know, The Handmaid's Tale to me now, now that I'm watching this, seems very rich for not really interpretation, because I think a strict interpretation of it is... This answers my question, which I've had sort of rolling for the past couple of weeks, which is why was this not just like a three-part miniseries, right? I think in order to like allow it to flower out into the world, one one of my frustrations with The Handmaid's Tale book was that she created such a rich world that I always struggled to imagine what was going on outside. And I think that those constraints are part of what makes the, the book very beautiful. And you get that little epilogue at the end of the book, which which sort of tells you at least in, you know, a, a very short period of time in the future, short being, I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's, you know, not more than a hundred years. You you find out, you know, that, that this society was sort of short-lived, um, that it was regional. And I think what this is doing for me now is, is saying not only is it regional in the past, it's regional right now, even if it's a huge region. And I think it, you're right. I think it does sort of delve into more standard narrative, but I, I I mean, I would not be surprised if we, if we go back and are, we sort of forget this for a little while. Um, yeah, no, I definitely and, agree. And this is not revisited for, yeah. for a little while, probably till the end closer. I think there are, how many episodes are left? I think three. Three. I think we'll probably revisit it before the end of the season, but I don't think that it's going to be this constant inundation of of what what's Luke doing today. Um, I think we're still going to have to, you know, reckon with this very real because my guess now is that Gilead is highly weaponized, <laughs> right? Yeah, it I must think that's be. fair. They yeah. must have like <laughs> nukes um, because you know and, and and we know that they took out like most of the government but some portion of it remains they've sort of regrouped um and are you know it may be sort of rickety um but 
there are, you know, there's a, there's a group of people presumably large enough, at least I think as large as what we've seen of Gilead, um, sort of doing something else. And my guess is that they have the support of much of the modern world, I, I hope. Uh, possibly not Mexico. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes. Um, I think this episode is the best advertisement for LASIK surgery I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and it yeah. reminds me every time, every time I see something like this, I think, oh God, I really got to get LASIK because I'm going to be the first to go in like a situation where it's like the road um, because you know, Luke loses his glasses immediately and, and thankfully in the ambulance, they're in a little bag. They've saved them for him. So he gets away. Um, his prescription doesn't look like it's as serious as mine. So, but yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I really thought about it a lot while I was watching because I was like, oh, he still has got his glasses. That's good. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, some of my favorite sort of source material books, um, one of my favorite books is Jane Eyre and it's, it's sort of, it's, it's like inspired so many sort of divergent interpretations and other histories of the things going on in it and, and sort of people have just interpreted it over and over and over again. And I actually think that this is a case where not just they were like, we need to pad this out to make a TV show. I think that it actually does sort of allow us to imagine what might be going on in, in, in the rest of the world that, that she created and sort of didn't fill out for us. And I think, um, this is one of the ways, you know, I had sort of never, and I, I, I can't wait to hear what you say to this. I've imagined what Luke is doing a million times. I've literally never imagined that this was what he was doing. I really didn't. I, I knew he probably, like, I thought, oh, maybe he escaped and he's in a work camp or he's in a prison somewhere or they tortured him and he, you know, we're going to see him and he only has one limb. Um, I did think maybe he escaped to somewhere not horrible, but like I didn't for some reason imagine that not horrible meant really, truly not horrible because, and maybe this world is horrible. Again, they haven't shown us much of it, but it doesn't feel horrible, right? It feels safe. It feels comfortable. And it feels, I think that they were really trying to show us that in a very short period of time. He's sort of joking around with, um, the girl who doesn't talk and like I said they get the coffee and there's just this sense of like warmth and it feels like almost like a carnival <laughs> at this point because everything that that we've seen previously is so dark yeah I mean I think to me like I it's funny because like when I read the book and when I watched the show, and I'm curious what you think about this, like, I don't actually, like, Luke is not the thing I worry about. Like, I think about Hannah, right? Like, I don't really honestly give a fuck yes. what's happening to Luke. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that they've chosen to give us Luke, and I think there's probably some, like, very good logistical sort of, like, reasons for not having an entire episode focus on a child. Um, because, like, mm-hmm. that's hard. Child, child actors are hard to work with, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, to me, like, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, Gregory, yeah, Luke, I honestly don't care. Like, I care about, like, what is going on with Hannah? Like, is she okay? What are they doing to her like are they like turning right. her against her parents i'm sure they are right like how does that oh you know, i like- think he's a I, I i think in this case um i think he's a device i i don't think we're really supposed to care what happened to luke i think that he's a device to show us um that communication is possible that another world exists and that her primary concern is the kid 
Yeah. You know, she doesn't, she does say, I love you, but then her, really her point is, can you please save the, ba- the, the kid? Yeah. She's like, she's not like, come get me. Um, and she's not like, how are you? <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> hey, what's she doesn't going ask on? him if he's okay. <laughs> and I think, so I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's weird to get an entire episode devoted to what has been sort of a character where I'm like, eh, he's, he's fine. He, he, he might be dead. He might be hurt. He might be in prison. Who cares? Um, and yes, I, I worry about the kid and, and, and some of the things which I didn't recap are these sort of scenes of them like baking a cake in their cabin and, and the, the little girl singing into the karaoke machine. They're, they're definitely meant to sort of refocus our attention on the fact that June has a daughter and that she's just gone. Um, and you know, Luke sort of finds her, her, when he returns to try to, you know, after he's been, um, shot, he finds her bunny and her baby book on the, on the ground sort of torn apart. And, you know, I think I, 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 I do understand what you're saying. And I, I agree that I don't really care about Luke, but I, again, I, I I do think he's in a, like a device to show us what's going on. I mean, that makes sense. And like, to your earlier point about, you know, the fact that like this book, the you need to do this to have a show, right? Like, you cannot, like, to actually truly interpret The Handmaid's Tale book into a television show would be extraordinarily difficult and probably very boring because, like, so much of that book is about a very, very narrow focus and is about sort of, like, only seeing what June sees and only hearing what she thinks and not knowing anything. And I think it'd be very, very difficult to pull off, pull that off in any kind of visual medium, but especially not for, like, a show that is going to have seasons and, like, has to have other characters and, like, you need other people in it. Um, And, I mean, you could, in theory, do it, but I think it would be a very experimental and weird thing that, like, would not be a, like, popular television show. You know, like, it'd be very different from what we're talking Mm -hmm. about right now. And I totally get that. And I think that, like, this, like, Luke is a good device for us to, like, kind of see the rest of this, to see what happens, to see that there is a resistance, to see that I thought the scene when Zoe brings him into that church where there's all the people hanging is, like, really effective to be, like, this is what they do to people. You know, and you find out, too, that the guy who, like, smuggled them sort of to that cabin gets killed and they say he's, like, hung from a, a lamppost in town. Like, you know, this is, like, a ruthless place where they they will just kill you unless you're a fertile woman, in which case they won't. Um, and I think that, like, there is all of that going on and, like, it's you have to see it through somebody's eyes and I get picking Luke as like the person who we've already met and we kind of like care at least a tiny bit about. Um, I think that like, you know, to me, part of my question is like, what has he been? It's, we know it's been three years since he escaped, right? Cause we get that little, like three years later, little yes. America, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, like, I'm kind of like, well, what have you been doing for these years? Like, have you not been right. trying to find your daughter? Like, what, like, you know, and, like, I understand that, like, it's hard. And there, obviously, you see that scene in the, um, in, like, the missing people center where, like, nobody knows where anybody is. And it's probably really hard to even get an appointment with one of these people. And he's clearly brought his little binder. And he's, like, really nervous. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he's got this, like, potentially one chance to talk to this person to try to help him find his people. But at the same time, I'm kind of like your wife and your daughter have been abducted by these people. You were willing to, like, go back while you were shot to go try to find them, and now you've been living for three years in this, like, other place that, like... I just well, have a lot was of, like... he willing? Well, he said he, he was, like... I mean, he wasn't, he said but, like... It. I mean, yeah. I get the one thing I thought while while he was escaping, and and I think that, you know, the, the girl's argument when she took him into the chapel with the hanging people... Um, was very convincing but I thought you know if the tables were turned and uh it were were June 
and she didn't know what happened to her husband and her daughter. They had run off, but it looked bad because their 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 stuff was all over the all over the ground. Her bag was there. Um, would June have gone into Canada? And my guess is she would not have. Um, and and I do think that whether the show is going to talk about this or not, I, I mean, I think there's a basic difference between a mother and a father. Um, and I think it's possible or easier sometimes for a father to go on living. I mean, June is still living, but they have sort of labored over showing us what she thinks about in her free time. It's unclear what Luke's thinking about, right? He kind of seems like he thought they were dead. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not disparaging Luke. <laughs> I'm just I saying I, I'm not sure she would. <laughs> I'm not sure she would have eas- as easily crossed the border. I'm not sure I would. I, I don't know if it would have mattered if I had gone back and immediately gotten killed. I'm not sure it would have been like a logical thing. I think if my daughter were like taken from me. I'd, you know, sort of like walk into a firing squad. Because um, what's the point of being alive at that point? You know, I think um, that's a legitimate question to ask. I don't really judge him for doing it because, I, like I said, I think her argument was compelling. And I think ultimately it may have been the right choice because it's possible we're going to see he's going to be able to get them out somehow. But that remains to be seen. And I'm interested, like fully hooked to see where this goes but my guess is you know it's going to take um a pretty long time i think that we're going to this part of it's going to probably season 2 move into season 2 yeah but it also starts to bring up a lot of questions for me about like moira where is she yeah right i in think the we book get her they have an answer episode. which is i agree because there's a moment in the car where they're driving they along getting her, out yeah. and 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 june's kind of blames Luke, I think, for not leaving earlier. She's like, we should have left when Moira left. And and he sort of argues with her, you know, uh, for a moment. And then he says, you're right. I know. Or he says, I know. Um, but because, we also know that Moira got caught anyway, right? Because we see her later at the Red Correct. Center. She did get caught. That's right. And they don't know that yet, clearly. Right, um, obviously. So she didn't make it out either. And it's like, I mean, that, again, like the, the um, you know, the other people with Luke on the boat, there are some women and they do get out. Um, so it's not like no women get out, but it seems to be that uh, my guess is very few do. So it'll be interesting to see what little America actually looks like, how many women are there, um, how many are kids there any are children? there. Are yeah. There? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I now legitimately have, like I said, I think that this is the most, the sort of most fucked up thing for me about it is... I've always questioned, I think when we talk about so these sort of pedantic things like, oh, really? They've, they've, they've nailed organic farming. I think, <laughs> that, I think that this opens up to they're full of shit. They're completely full of shit. Yeah. Their they religion totally are. is bullshit. They're, all, here's what they have they have weapons. End of fucking story. I mean, they this have is why I keep bringing up North and, Korea. It's right. like, this is what we're talking yes. about. We're talking about people who can like blow the shit out of you and like yes. don't really I mean we've in the last episode and we shape did reality sort of, for their and shape yeah. reality for their citizens in a way that's not um realistic. You know, right. it's it's a bubble. It's a bubble, it's a like a and it's like mind warping. And so right. June lives in this mind warped 
reality where she doesn't have any clue what's outside and she probably is afraid of what's outside. Um, and she hasn't even tried in a really long time to get out because she's so terrified of, of what they are and who they are and what's out there. And they've made her afraid of what is on, what's going on in the outside world. Yeah, I think also like the pairing between last episode and this episode where last episode we saw that the Mexican delegation was willing to, in theory, trade handmaids, trade for handmaids. Um, right. And then you get this like little glimpse of of Little America uh, in Toronto and you get this kind of like missing persons bureau. And it seems like maybe Canada is less willing to cooperate or maybe or something, you know, but I think you're seeing these two sides of what feels to me like kind of a, almost a commentary on like the ways in which we're kind of willing to like overlook horrible atrocities, right? That like everyone mm-hmm. in Little America is like very close to where the this Gilead is. Like they're not far away. You know, they're just over the border. It's not right. far. And like they're all they all are kind of aware that this is happening. I'm sure they all know that this exists, but like they're kind of living their regular lives and like, you know, they're sort of trying and there's this like office where these people are, but like it's a regular thing and like we're not I mean maybe we're just not seeing it, but we're not seeing any kind of like organized sort of like move to try to actually liberate these people who are clearly like suffering and they you Mm -hmm. know are suffering i mean we got that moment where um in one of the earlier episodes where fred says like oh um, uh, an aunt escaped into canada and like published this whole thing about how terrible it is and so like and it reminds me of like every so often when you have people defect from north korea and they like write this whole thing about how terrible it is and how everyone is starving and how it's like this horrific thing but like nobody can really do anything because they have nukes and they like kind of were like not going to step on their autonomy we don't want to start a world war three like you know we don't want to do all these things and those are all like legitimate reasons to not just like go in guns blazing but it sort of reminds me of like we can know that horrible horrible things are happening and all kind of be like not sure what to do about it um right and like people it disappear all of, the time yeah. yeah yes and it reminds me of this uh profile i read um in the last two years i think in in the new yorker about it was a profile of sort of i think five or six parents of of mostly journalists who had been you know, kidnapped um, and held hostage. And the one that really sticks out to me is uh, James Foley's parents. He was later um, uh, killed. And, uh, you know, they were trying to work with authorities. They were sort of secretly, there was this entire mission going on to try to get these, like the, all of these parents of these children, of their children, their adult children who had been, you know, um, kidnapped in other countries and, and were being held hostage. Um, you know, they were sort of secretly meeting, trying to negotiate, trying to put up money for rewards because every, you know, they, they were, they were asking massive bounties for them. It was unclear if they paid them, if they were going to let them go. Some of the parents were actually successful. Most of them were not, but there's this really real sense as you're reading it that, their parents have to continue to play these little chess games and wait for emails and they're getting Facebook messages. And meanwhile, their sons, I think most of them were men, were in solitary confinement living every day. You know, a day is very long when you're in prison or when you're held captive. And that goes on. And that's what I think of with this episode now is it shows, I mean, the three years later is kind of like very... It's a really kind of funny thing because it's like it just glosses over. It's like, well, nothing important happened in the last three years. <laughs> he got up there. He's just hanging out, right? Like, 
and maybe I'm sure there are lots of really interesting things they're going to show us that did happen in that period. But for, for, for June, who I refuse to call Offred moving forward, for June, I think we've belabored this, the time that, you know, she has nothing to do. She can't read. She can't watch TV. She can't smoke a cigarette or have a drink. It's just enormously, she's in prison. And I think you're probably going to see that, you know, what are the chances of getting her out of there? Um, Will somebody need to be bribed? What's, you know, what is the actual power of whatever remains of the government? Um, So I have like a lot of questions, but I'm also extremely intrigued at this point. Now I'm just yeah. rambling about what I want to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the, the the way that they sort of showed like how people help people and the favors and like, you know, the guy who's going to get them, you know, puts them in the trunk. You know, he says, oh, you know, I owe your mom a favor because your mom gave me the snip. Um, and so we, mm-hmm. that's the first we hear about her mom, which is interesting to yep. me. Um, but and then, you know, and then, right, he says something about how like, I forget what the favor was that the guy owed him who like yeah saw them in the trunk and you think they're about to be caught. He took his like, sister oh. to the prom. That's what it was. It was the prom. Something. Like, yeah. And so you see kind of like all these people and then you see you know this hunter who they while they're up there they this guy sort of this dog runs out and they freak out because there's a hunter who sees them and sort of they have this like very awkward conversation where you can't really tell if this guy is going to be a friend or a foe or like what it is um and then he shows up to their cabin later and is like they're looking for you i'm hearing them talk about you on the radio you need to get out of here now and he says you know i've called a guy you know there's there's going to be a guy who's going to meet you at the border and so like people who are willing to like help them try to escape but also like are kind of like living their own lives and kind of seem to be normal right. like this guy seems to just be living like a normal life in like this back country like he's going hunting with his dog and like doing this normal stuff but he's also kind of aware that like all this really fucked up shit is happening and he's like kind of willing to help them if he can but like also kind of like doesn't want to he knows that if he gets caught you know they will hang him from a streetlight in the town which is what they did to the other guy and so you right. see this kind of like bargaining of favors and you see kind of like who knows who and how do, how do you get what you need, which feels like, you know, and even when Luke um, is getting on that boat and he's like, the guy says like, oh, no, I only you only paid for four people or five people and this is six. And so Luke right. has to give him a bunch of shit, including his wedding ring to, to get on this boat, um, which then like obviously not even everyone gets on because a bunch of people die. I do think that like Luke only survives because of a bunch of women who then ultimately die and that makes me really annoyed. <laughs> but like, right. Whatever. Yes. He, you know, I mean, Luke gets um, in the narrative, he gets all of the luck. You know, he sort of bumbles through and saves at every turn and I think that that's a really harsh lesson, but I think that it's also like um, a, a pretty good one. I mean, that is the way that it works sometimes, you know. Sometimes well, and also Luke like the story out. kind of gets ruined if Luke just like dies. <laughs> and then you're like, well, okay, don't know where we're going now. Right. <laughs> like, you, know? you know, you find out very quickly, I think, in in times like this, how just how few people in the world actually care if you live or die, right? I remember being in college thinking like, (laughs) if I had a heart attack right now, who would find me and how long would it take, right? And you think like, the cats would probably get to me first because <laughs> because there are not that many people who come and are with you on a daily basis and need to check on you and make sure that you're okay and 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 in a in a situation like this where everyone scatters i think the mercenary nature of of what they're showing us is really interesting but it also shows us um it kind of reminds me of a, a couple of like sort of William Gibson stories another august canadian writer um you know which is that like in times of there's always a black market. There's always a guy willing right. to take you across the border 
no matter how dangerous it is, there's always a black market. And I think that they've been showing us that in um, Gilead from the beginning, but it's the narrative so tight and they can say so little and they have so many, so few moments to discuss that it's unclear. And, and really right. well, what, even, what do even you want in that willing, environment, right? Yeah, right. Even people – and they do – the book, they talk about this a lot, right? Trading, like you're willing to trade one thing for another. Like what do they want? Right. What do you have? Like that whole thing. And I think you see right. it a little bit in the show where like, you know, we get this moment where Serena Joy suggests to – have sex with Nick and like that is like a thing that you are not supposed to do but like clearly like for some things it's worth it and you know there's like this trading and even when she gives her the cookie there's like all of this like stuff that they're kind of like very subtly trading. In the book Fred in the book Fred gives June like a lot of cigarettes which I've found interesting because um, I think he gives her face lotion. He does. He gives her some kind of lotion because she's been using like butter (laughs) but you know I think yeah I think that the sort of black market um, what we're seeing in this sort of middle period where it's Gilead's not fully established, but the United States isn't hasn't completely collapsed yet, is obviously a very active uh, black market period. But now it's sort of, you know, I'm interested to see what the tone of of next week's episode is. Like, how do you return to Gilead now that we have felt this way? Now that we, the viewer, are so much better informed than at least June, right? She I think it's going to be know... really shocking, right? Because, like, you, yeah. we've had this, like, break. We've had this, like, respite from, yeah. I mean, it's horrible in a different way. It's sort of, like, horrible. Mm-hmm. But it's horrible in the way that, like, we're kind of used to in these kind of, yes. like, gritty <laughs> sci-fi dystopian the road children of men, et cetera. It's like gritty in a way that we're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I've got this. Like, I know what this, I know what the tropes are here. Like, I kind of know how this goes. I know the on the run thing. I got it. Um, people are going to die. People, you know, all that. Um, and, and so coming back, I think that like, and I think that's, this is a really smart place to put this episode. Cause like, I mean, in theory, she could have, you know, they could have moved this, this around a little bit, right? Like they could have mm-hmm. had us, you know, meet Luke in some other way. I think the note is a really great mechanism, but like in theory, you could have put this episode elsewhere. Um, but I think putting it here is really smart because we've gotten a little bit of the background we've gotten a lot of this the gilead world and i think it's like exhausting sort of emotionally for us to sort of continually be in that world and i think they did a good job last week also of reminding us you know when she has that moment where she has to say to that mexican ambassador like this is what this is like they rape us they abuse us they use cattle and we have that we have that same moment of like oh right holy shit like this is terrible Mm -hmm. you know and you're reminded it's a perfect it's a perfect sort of scene set for this i believe yeah. And so then here, and then I think going back, it'll be, it's going to be really jarring, I think intentionally, because it's going to, we've gotten, we've we sort of had to face like how fucked up this is. And also like how there are places that aren't like this. Like you were saying, like there are places where it's relatively normal. Maybe the electricity isn't great. Maybe you can't get coffee because of the embargoes or whatever, but like you have a normal life. You're like walking around the street. There aren't people with guns everywhere. You know, like you're in a like relatively normal life. And then we have to go back to Gilead and go back to June and like, I think it's going to be really intense, and I think that they're going to play with that, too. I do think that we'll get Moira next, because I think we haven't seen her in a long mm-hmm. time, and I think she's going to be our, our like, rem- a reminder, too, of, like, a different way that the outside world could have gone. I'm curious mm-hmm. if they're going to do something similar to Luke with Moira, where it's, like, showing kind of where, where she left off. You know, the last time we saw her, she took that train out, and she got on that train, right. and she just went away. 
And we have no right. idea what's happened to her since. And I would love, actually, honestly, like a whole Moira episode if, like, in the right. same vein of, like, where did she go? And I think them expanding the universe, as much as I, like, have complained that I don't really give a shit about Nick, expanding, or Luke, um, expanding the universe in this way by following different characters in the same way that they followed Emily to kind of give us a sense of, like, what else is happening here is really smart television. It's like a smart television choice. It's just interesting to see sort of who they're picking. Um, I mean, I also like before the season ends, I don't think we'll get this next week, but before the season ends, I do want to see the daughter in some way. Right. Right. Because Mm -hmm. she's been sort of with us this whole time in these flashbacks and these memories. You know, we get her, we get her in in blips. And then when we had last week, we had the children come through. I mean, I was definitely looking for her to see if I could see if her daughter was there. I didn't see her. I don't think. Um, I feel like they would have made that a thing. But, yeah, like, I, I think they can't really end the season without telling us, like, something more about the, where right. the daughter is. Yes. But, yeah, I think that's, like, the Especially main— Especially since it's it's what ends the last episode. It's a sort of fine point. Um, you know, the episode sort of begins at where we began in the beginning of the season, but it also ends in the same place as last week, which was, you know, she's ready to write this note, and now he has is reading the note. And when we find out, you know, what the note says— it ends with her. So I think if we don't get her in the next episode, we will get her. We will find out something um, in 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 the one after that. I've, I I hope so. pr- feel pretty pretty firmly. I hope so. And I, I just like worry, you know, like I was thinking about this earlier uh, and maybe we should wait to talk about this until we actually get her. But like, you know, we've seen what they do to control and kind of like brainwash the women, the handmaids. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure there's stuff that they're doing to control and brainwash the children. Um, and I'm, like, a little bit dreading that because I think it's going to be really painful to watch. I don't think they're going to, like, physically harm them, but I think we will no. see them kind of, like, indoctrinating them, telling them that their parents were evil and they've been saved. Like, you know, all that stuff that y- you're going to get. And it, it it just is, like, you know, if he goes and tries to find Hannah and I'm just – it's scary to think about, like, what he might find, you know, in terms of, like, right. the ways that they have turned her against him and June. Um, which I'm sure is like the first thing that you do once you take a kid away from their parents, you basically have to like prove to them or say to them like, oh, your parents were bad. You know, like that's like certainly something that they're going to be doing. And I'm curious like how much of that they're going to give us and how much of that they're going to show us. But it makes me like Mm -hmm. really nervous (laughs) for what that's going to be like. Again, I think last week we sort of ended talking about what or, you know, we'd certainly discussed what a failure this society feels like from the outset. You know, it's new um, and it really feels, I, I mean, because of the way that the last episode ended with June saying, you know, they rape us, they beat us, they they starve us, they do this, they, you know, they torture us. Um, it puts a really like fine point on on exactly what is happening. But this episode, I feel like it makes it seem not comical, but very like, oh, they're, what they're doing is completely ridiculous. It's the worst solution possible to a problem which may not be solvable, right? The the the, the problems of fertility, if they are truly what they are painting them as, um, that shit might have sailed already. You know, you may not be able to replace population in a way that is going to be worth it. And it'll be interesting to see if they explore how is, you know, Canada's sort of, I feel like it must be some nod to to Margaret Atwood's Canadian-ness, but also proximity. And I think that this is how we all assume Canadians would react in any, any time of stress. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see what Canada's actual position is. I mean, if their population is also steeply, steeply declining, are they just like, well, guess we're done, guess Canada's over, or are they trying to science their way out of it? It'll be really interesting to see to what extent they answer any of those questions. And like I said, I think what's very smart, and now I do believe to be intentional, is that I I don't know anything about the world. The only things that I've really directly heard are from Fred, and he seems like he sucks as a source of information. Definitely sucks. I will say that, so the way that I, like, and this is my, like, like really stupid prediction, which I like to make at the, this point in shows. Um, <laughs> but basically, like, the, when, so when that season, when the episode ended, I watched it this morning, and when the episode ended, my first thought was, like, oh, they're going to try to trade for June, right? Because, like, we've heard in the last episode that, like, right. they're going to trade for these handmaids. And, like, maybe that's the way you get her out, is you say, okay, yeah, 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 we'll trade for handmaids. And then you have to basically, like, he's going to try to petition to get her in a trade of some sort for something or even get the daughter. I think it's going to be much harder for the trade to work for the daughter because the daughter is like the valuable is a valuable thing to them. Um, I don't think they're going to trade children. Unless June's pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I think that like to me that was my first thought. Although like I think that from a TV perspective that might be hard to make interesting because like all of a sudden are we now doing like West Wing like walk and talks to try to like get you know these people I, right, you know, get these people back. I think I we may got, get I some. Think so, I but. think we may get some negotiations. Yeah, I actually think that we might. And I think um, the sort of elephant in the room here is, I mean, Serena threatened recently in the recent past. I think the episode before last. Um, you know, if 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 June doesn't um, succeed in conceiving a child, she's gets sent somewhere else, right? She's, she's kind of done, right? This is her, is this her final posting? Yeah. Her final posting. I think this is her final posting. Right. So there, there's this hanging over her head, right? That this, this part portion of the, of the program is coming to an end. She's 32. Um, and they're going to be done with her soon. So what happens next? Do they just hang her? Um, do they send her to work? I don't know. But I think that that's sort of what's unspoken in this relationship um, is that, you know, it's not completely unspoken, but it's it's most of the time it's just sort of bubbling under the surface. And so all of this is clearly coming to a head just in time for the end of season one. <laughs> yeah, I think this does answer, like you said, a lot of my questions about like how the hell is there going to be a season two? Because like now we've got like oh okay, now cool. it's so we've not got, like, just plots, all bets are off yeah. and I and yeah. I I love it because you know what's interesting is the show's always been pretty um, surprising in its deviations from the source material. It's like at once both both really faithful and completely off the rails, and I think that that's really the best way. I mean, I once heard. Um, the author John Irving, who writes like very like sort of sprawling novels, say that you know once he once he you know sort of sells a book as a movie, it's like all bets are off, and and so he's written adaptations of his own works where the movie is basically completely different than the book. I think that it's really hard to adapt um, a novel that is extremely well loved and iconic, and I think that they have done like basically a fantastic job with that because it feels very faithful, but it's also like not bound in by the faithfulness. And I think um, it's weird. I I mean, I really have felt, I I do think that this, this 
episode has has changed a lot of my sort of like basic underpinnings about how I feel about the show. You know, the show can be very hard to watch and I think this does present some relief for that. And though relief is not the only thing I'm looking for, I think it I think it you need hope. Um you need a reason to hope and I think they've given us like a huge one. Yeah, and I think that you know they they mimic actually they they do they love doing this right where they have like um they'll like call back to earlier scenes where they mimic like when Emily gets her clitorectomy and she's like looking around and then they mimic that a little bit with like Luke realizing like oh his wife is alive and he's gonna try to do something about it yeah he's crying mm-hmm. um you know and I I think that they're doing and at some point you know you do have to especially after last episode where like the Mexican delegate is like I can't help you you have to give us as the listener or the viewer like something to hope for like something to hold on to because it feels totally hopeless like if there are these powerful people coming in and they are telling june after hearing a very explicit description of what this is like i'm sorry i am willing to accept that in order to save my country or my people then like you like where the fuck do you go from there like you know it just seems like completely hopeless so this is like a great way to kind of say like oh there is potentially a way for this, at least this very small portion of this story and this world and these people that you cared about to not just like suffer forever and you feel like there's no hope. Um, Should we do, I think we did predictions basically already. I think we see Moira next episode, Um, but we only have three episodes left. I agree with you. Now I have one final question, which is a prediction. Do you think that the girl who doesn't talk is Luke's girlfriend? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I was a little bummed about that. I, I was so like, too. no. <laughs> I mean, wait, yeah, you, and like mean, they, you were bummed because you wanted him to be celibate or. No, or, I just, I mean, she doesn't talk. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think it's like we, we get this like it's a little bit on the nose. Like, right. We get this, um, you know, we get this moment where he takes off his wedding ring. We get this moment where he's like protecting her. You know, I think he it, she sort of feels like almost like the June that could have been like she was in a red center. She escaped. You know, it just feels a little bit like to tie a bow on it parallel to me. And um, it also, I mean, it also is definitely what would happen though. Oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. people, um, there's no, I mean, like, if I, I, I feel like as like a married person, I feel like if I die, like my husband will marry the funeral director. <laughs> you know, like I feel like it's like <laughs> whoever's burying the body, it's like whoever's in front of you um, yeah. is like what happens. And in this world's so limited that there's very few, it's like June is in love with, um, Nick. Nick. Yeah, so I think, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see stuff, we'll see Moira next week, I think. I think, you know, I'm excited to see where we go. I actually, like, will say that, like, as much as, I think that this episode didn't quite do it for me in the way that it did it for you, um, I'm still glad we got it, and I'm glad that it kind of, like, expanded the world to give us some of the answers to the questions of, like, what is what was the resistance like? What were people doing? Like, how do people run away? Like, who made it? Who didn't make it? You know, what is this, like... What is going on um, in the kind of like broader world? So I'm glad that we get that. I think we'll get a little bit more of it. Um, There is a scene from the book that I'm really waiting for, and I think it happens Mm -hmm. next week. um, And I'm really excited about it. I think so Um, too. And I think it will give me an opportunity to bitch about Fred more. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely. You're definitely going to get more of Fred being an idiot, Um, and and also just like an evil, evil human. So yeah, I think that is. Is there anything else we should say? No, I think that's, I think we're good. I think it's okay, wonderful. Okay. I'm, such I'm a good very job. excited. For, I'm very <laughs> excited for next week. We did a wonderful job today. Um, we're definitely also the other reviews that we talked too fast. So, oh, I get that all the time. Yeah. Okay. So we'll wrap up. That is episode seven of The Handmaid's Tale. Thanks for listening. 
Oh, this is the part where I'm supposed to plug my other show. This is the part that everyone loves about podcasts is when people talk about their other podcasts that they should listen to. Um, But I am a producer on another podcast that is coming out in June. It's the ESPN 30 for 30 podcast. Um, Some of you might be thinking... I don't care about sports. Um, That's fine. You don't actually have to care about sports because it's really just about good stories. Um, We have some really awesome episodes uh, coming up, including a profile of a super badass lady villain um, who is a card player who has taken millions of dollars from casinos. So just a lot of really cool stories that are coming up. Um, We are launching on June 27th, I believe. Um, And you should check it out. Uh, That's my plug for my other show. And if you like our show, you can subscribe or rate on Apple Podcasts or find more ways to subscribe at theoutline.com slash podcasts. We'll be back in a week and every week for new episodes. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. Under his eye. Under his eye.